It's a privilege to have the opportunity of worshiping on this early morning hour. I have been blessed by the presentations this week. I hope you have also. Before we begin our presentation, I would just like to let, a, let you know very quickly about two resources that are available for your church. Um, PositiveChoices.com, which I am involved in, offers not only a monthly health newsletter that you can download without charge at PositiveChoices.com, and you can copy it and give it to your church or other group that you wish uh, in as many copies as you would like. There are sample copies at our booth at Positive Choices if you, if you, down on this corner here, if you haven't been there already. And we have recently introduced Positive Choices HD, which is a monthly video that is no longer than four and a half minutes and is designed to be shown, among other places, in your church between Sabbath school and church, focusing on one health uh, topic. And it, we use a variety of experts. Uh, in December, Dr. Ellen Handysides was featured. Um, and uh, we have a number of individuals in the area that are Seventh-day Adventists. And each one not only speaks about physical health, but also mental and spiritual health as well. Those are resources that you can use in your church. And uh, you can get more information if you go by the booth out there in the hall. Would you please bow your heads with me as we begin our devotional thought. Father in heaven, this morning we are thankful to you for the wonderful message that you have given to us. We have been examining the relationship this has to Jesus each morning here this week. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would fill our minds and hearts this morning. And may we understand more of his love and how we can share that with others in effective ways is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I was a freshly minted health educator. I had just graduated with my doctorate. And I was working in a large city associated with one of our churches with the responsibility of building a church-based health education program. I believe fervently that health ministry was the right arm of the gospel. It wasn't the work, but it was the entering work. And I knew it was an effective method that would prepare hearts and minds to receive the gospel of Jesus. In my programs, I made indirect references to spiritual things. You see, we were located in a mostly Jewish neighborhood. And they were coming to our programs in the Seventh-day Adventist church because they had health needs. And we were able to offer them various programs on various topics. But I didn't want to offend them, as well as anyone else. 
And so I would refer to the Creator. I would refer to, in veiled ways, spiritual concepts. But I was very afraid and very timid. Then when I went to visit people in their homes, I'd knock on the door, and they were more than welcome to have me in. They were delighted to see somebody from a familiar face from the program that they had been going to. But when I began to try to move the conversation, and they would ask me about diet and exercise and stress and all kinds of questions, no problem. But when I tried to move the conversation towards spiritual things, then they wanted to talk about the ball game or the weather the next day. And they let me know that they weren't interested. Now, I didn't push it, but I was frustrated and disappointed. After about a year and a half of this effort, these efforts, I was visited by an old family friend, old gray-haired man. And uh, it was nice to see him. And he came to a few of my programs. And just before he left, he sat down with me and he said, I have some suggestions. And I expressed to him my concern and frustration. And he said to me these words, Fred, you must identify yourself as a spiritual person if you want to see more results. And that really hit me like a ton of brick because I realized that I was afraid. And I was afraid for good reasons, I thought, because I might offend somebody and they might leave and not come back. I did a lot of thinking about that counsel. Sadly, I was in the same trap that many of us have been in. We have a lot of godless programs that we deliver with excellence, balance, and accuracy. But we're missing one important ingredient. I think sometimes we misunderstand the statements on disinterested benevolence that we read in the spirit of prophecy. I don't think that that term means that we should not weave the love and power of Jesus to change lives into our message and programs. However, we must always honor individual choice. We must never force or manipulate or seek to manipulate anyone to adopt the philosophy and view that we have. God never does that to us, and we must not do that to others. And yet, at the same time, we're called to offer people the help that, they, that we know that they need, whether or not they respond in the way that we hope they will or expect them to respond and when they respond otherwise, we still must love and respect them, irregardless of the choices that they make. We can't 
just write them off because they haven't accepted the message that we have. And sometimes in our zealous enthusiasm, we may step over the line. And when we do, we do something that God never does to you and I, to anyone. I'm not suggesting that in our health programs we need to be, stating, we need to be te teaching the state of the dead or the Sabbath or the 2300-day prophecy. Now, those things are appropriate. They're wonderful truths, and they will come in their own time in people's lives. What I am suggesting is that we should be weaving into our programs the fact that Jesus is the only agent of permanent change in human lives and how they can take practical steps, baby steps, if you will, to experience that power in their lives to help them to become new creatures. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens step by step by step. The, re the advice that I received almost 40 years ago, has changed my approach forever. Yes, I was afraid that I would lose my audiences, that I would, would destroy friendships that were being established, that they would be offended. And my first steps in the direction that my friend counseled me were very tentative and very small as I look back. God had to work with me, just as he desires to work in the lives of those that we seek to minister to. Many years later, I had a friend who loved to say, you can't sell it if you don't stock it. And I realized as I look back that I, my, my supply room was a little bit short in the area of understanding how Christ will change lives. And as I've drawn closer to him by his grace, it has given me more courage and more strength and more tools to share how God will, is standing willing, waiting to help people make changes, even if they haven't yet heard about the Sabbath or the 2300 days or the state of the dead. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 2. If you have your Bibles with you or on your phone or on your iPad or whatever device you have. Used to be we all carried around the printed word. Now we have it in so many ways. And you know, technology is wonderful. But I still love my Bible the printed one. I don't have it with me here. Um, Ephesians 2. And the first three verses I'm going to read. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen, in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. 
All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone is. And if we look at that description that Paul gives, he's really saying we were dead, we were devilish, we were disobedient, and we were depraved. And that really is the description of mankind. Dead, devilish, disobedient, and depraved. Now, I wondered how I could illustrate this this morning, but you're going to have to do it in your minds. If I could have brought a, a corpse in, I would have laid one out here on the podium. But let's imagine that John, and we'll just give him that name, is dead. And he's lying right here. John came to your health program, or he was brought to your health program. What can you do for him at your health program? Can you set a good example for him? You can model good exercise. You can eat right around him of only healthy food. You can show him that you don't smoke. And you can avoid depressive speech and attitudes around him. But will that make him alive? You can educate him. We're good at that. We can talk about portion control about the importance of avoiding trans fats, about the dangers of eating cheese, about stress management. We can define it for him. We can tell him all about stress and how to deal with it. You know, it's all in his head. We can deal with depression recovery, help him be more encouraged, give him important pointers along that lines. But it's not going to make John alive. We can give him encouragement. We can say, you know, you can do it, John. Don't give up. Remember, you haven't failed unless you fail to try again. This is really important for your life. You will be glad once you succeed. It's hard at first, but it gets easier. This is no time to be discouraged. But that's not going to make... John alive. Or we can put him in a better environment. We can remove him from the bad environment in which he's been. We can put him with other successful people. Surround him with positive role models. We can encourage, we can put him in an encouraging setting. But none of these good activities, important activities, will bring the dead to life. Doesn't matter. Good example, education, environment, and encouragement, they're worthless to a dead person. In the same chapter that we just read, in the next two verses, we find the solution described by Paul to the problem of John. 
to the problem of people. All of us, without the grace of Christ, are dead, devilish, disobedient. Let's look at those verses. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. It is only by God's grace that people can change and become new creatures. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. The real answer to John's problem, the only answer, is Jesus. In the Review and Herald on March 12, 1901, Ellen White wrote this, The Savior saw that man has vast powers and capabilities for good, which can be used in the upbuilding of God's kingdom. He came to restore to life those dead in sin. His voice is to be heard saying, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. As the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. And then the most amazing sentence, to arouse those spiritually dead. That's what we're talking about. That's John down here. To arouse those spiritually dead, to create new tastes, new motives. That's what health education is all about. Requires as great an outlay of power as to raise one from physical death. So if we're trying to conduct godless programs, we're only going to be frustrated. We're going to have minimal success to create new tastes, new motives, requires as great an outlay of power as to raise one from physical death. And so in a sense, God has called each of us to a work that's similar to the disciples and of his own when he was walking here on this earth. And we look with awe at the stories of God raising people from the dead, literally. But he wants to do the same thing today. And it may take different forms. Going on in that statement, it is indeed giving life to the dead to convert the sinner from the error of his ways. But our deliverer is able to do this. It's not something you and I can do. We don't have that power. And so we can only point people to the one who does. For he came to destroy the works of the enemy, and he will not accomplish that which he has, and will he not accomplish that which he has pledged himself to perform? So the only answer to health problems on a permanent basis is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the center and the core of the gospel. And we must find ways of making Jesus Christ the center and the core of our health ministry if we're going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish with it. You know, those are not my words. 
Ministry of Healing, page 144. And we all know and we repeat Christ's method alone from page 143. But on 144, on the first paragraph, this is what we read. We should ever remember that the object of the medical missionary work is to point sin-sick men and women to the man of Calvary, who takes away the sin of the world. By beholding him, they will become changed into his likeness. We are to encourage the sick and suffering to look to Jesus and to live. Let the workers keep Christ, the great physician, constantly before those to whom disease of body and soul has brought discouragement. Point them to the one who can heal both physical and spiritual disease. Tell them of the one who is touched with the feeling of their infirmities. Encourage them to place themselves in the care of him who gave his life to make it possible for them to have eternal life. Talk of his love. Tell of his power to save. Then medical ministry, page 259, the gospel of health is to be firmly linked with the ministry of the word. It is the Lord's design that the restoring influence of health reform shall be part of the last great effort to proclaim the gospel message. Does it work? Absolutely. When we work it. When we do our part to work it. We can't make it happen. Does it work immediately? No. Sometimes it takes a long time. Let me share with you two examples. Shortly after my epiphany, thanks to that elderly friend who shared with me some very, very important advice. One of the baby steps that I took, now I believe that we, need the Holy, we needed the Holy Spirit and God's help, and our team from the church that was involved in our programs, which were basically being presented in a godless way, we were praying for weeks ahead of time for the people that God would send. And after every evening's program, our team would gather and we would have prayer for the people who had come and for their struggles. And I was involved in a smoking cessation program and one day one of the individuals from the church who was was making friends with some of the ladies who were trying to stop smoking came to me and she said, do you think I could invite, would it be appropriate if I invite my two friends to come to our prayer group? And I thought, wow, maybe, maybe I've been wrong. I mean, this, I saw it as something for us, an internal thing, where we prayed and we got encouragement and we encouraged each other, but I hadn't thought of it as something where we could invite some who were coming to the program. Well, you can't say no to that kind of request. And I said, well, sure. I think we should. And so the next evening, at the end of the program, I said to everybody there, I said, you know, something you may not be aware of, this is a Christian church, and this team that has been serving you has been praying for you even before we knew your name. 
And when we're through with the program and you've gone home, we gather and we pray again. You've shared with us some of the, some of the struggles you're having, and we pray about those. We lift you up before the Lord because we believe that his power is able to change lives and give you strength. So this, morning, this evening we're going to offer you something. If you would like to come and join us in our prayer circle, when the program is over this evening, you can go out into the hallway and you can go into the next room. And I pointed out where it was. And you can join us. I didn't want it to be in the same room because I wanted people to have the freedom to leave and go home if they didn't want to. Only two ladies came. It was the two ladies that were the friends of this member who had suggested that. When we were through praying, we prayed for each of them by name, some of the struggles that they were having, and she prayed a beautiful prayer on behalf of those two ladies. We read some scripture texts, and by the time we were through praying, both of them were weeping. Their hearts had been broken. And over the next year and a half, that lady who church member who had suggested this had the privilege of studying the Bible with both of those ladies. And within two years, they were both Seventh-day Adventists and remained so until they passed away. It works if we do it. But it doesn't always work that quickly. And we must always respect people who differ with us. I want to tell you a story quickly about Tom. Tom came to a smoking cessation program. Tom was an attorney for the U.S. government. And he was trained in debates, and he wanted to stop smoking. He was highly motivated, and he came to one of our programs. But on the first night at the end, he came up to me, and he argued in a way that I had never had anybody argue with me that... And I had only said that God was an available tool of strength if they wanted to ask him. I was still taking baby steps. And he argued with me. And I never thought I'd see him again. But you know, he came back the next night. And every night, he argued with me. As only a lawyer could argue. And every night when he left, I thought I'd never see him again. I was sure I had offended him. But we prayed for Tom. And Tom came back. And by the end of the week, Tom had quit smoking. But in his mind, God had nothing to do with it at all. <laughs> Our church at that time invited the alumni of any kind of program to come once a month to a vegetarian meal on a Sunday evening. I never thought I'd see Tom again, but you know, Tom and his wife and his two children showed up at that meal. The first one. I was shocked. And we had a little presentation, showed a film, um, just had a nice time of fellowship. Church members were there with their families. As long as I worked in that church, almost every time we had that meal each month, Tom and his family showed up. 
but they weren't interested in anything more. He got transferred into another area. Later, we moved to a number of places. I had almost forgotten about Tom, but I've never forgotten how he chewed me out for five nights in a row. I got a phone call about three years ago when I was in living in Spokane before we moved to Silver Spring. I was in the office, I picked it up. Turns out to be Tom on the phone. He says, do you remember me? Now, you know, you remember the people that gave you the most trouble, and you remember the people who were the brightest lights. But all those in between, you don't. But you know, I remembered Tom because he had given me so much trouble. <laughs> if he'd been, you know, if he'd come and quit and never said anything, I probably wouldn't have remembered his name after all those years. I said, yes, I do remember you. And he kind of chortled and he said, I'm the guy that gave you a hard time. I said, I know, that's why I remember you. I said, what gives me the privilege of hearing from you? Oh, he said, I thought you ought to know the rest of the story. I said, tell me, I'm all ears. And he began to tell me how he had moved from several places, different assignments. He had never gone back to cigarette smoking. But he said, you know, I had no interest in God. He said, my wife and I were raised godless. We raised our family godless. He said, the closest we ever came to God was in those dinners at your church. But he said, when we moved away, we never looked for anything more. He said, I had a successful career with the government, and I retired in Texas. And he told me where he was retired, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he said, several years after retirement, my wife and I experienced a problem. And he said it was a terrible problem that we had no solution to. He said, it wasn't between us. He said, we've had a wonderful marriage, and I'm very thankful for that. But he said, we didn't know how to deal with this problem. And he said, we talked at hours and hours about solutions. And he said, one day, my wife said to me, maybe we ought to try God. And he said, my response was, where on earth would we find God? He said, a couple of weeks later, I said to her, maybe we ought to try a church. That might be the place to find God. And she said, what church? And he said, I haven't a clue. And he said, for a couple more weeks, we talked about it periodically. And one day, she said to me, wasn't it a church that helped you stop smoking many, many years ago? And we went to those meals and had a good time with those people. They were different, but we did have a good time. And he said, I don't remember the name of that. But he said, after several days, he said, I remembered it had to do with Adventists and they worshiped on a strange day. <laughs> so he said, we looked it up in the phone book and lo and behold, he said, a Seventh-day Adventist church was four blocks from our home. So he said, we wrote the address down. And he said, the next Sunday we got dressed and we went to church. And when we drove in the parking lot, there was only one car there. And he said, well, there's old, there was this old couple in old clothes, and they were pulling weeds. And he said, we wondered, 
is this church closed or is it dead? Or He said, we drove up to where they were working and the man stood up and he walked over. Next thing, his wife came over. We rolled the window down and we said, we came to church. They look, he said, that man looked at me and said, well, you're a day late. <laughs> said, if you'll come back next Saturday, we'll have another worship service. He said, I then remembered that that's probably what seventh day meant in the name. <laughs> so he said, the man chatted with us for a few minutes, and he said, we'll be standing at the door looking for you next week. And you know, they went back the next six days later. And when they got to the door, he said, we didn't recognize that couple because they were in their suits and church clothes. <laughs> but they were standing there waiting for us. And they received us so warmly, welcomed us. They introduced us to their friends. They introduced us to the pastor. And the pastor said to us on that first Sabbath, well, what brings you here? And he said, our hearts were so overburdened with this problem. We said, you know, this is why we're here. We're looking for a solution. The pastor said, you know, I think we might be able to help you. We may not be able to solve it, but we can point you in the right direction. And we said, oh, please. And he said, I'll come and visit you. And he came to their home. And they poured out their hearts. And the pastor said, only the Lord can solve that problem. Can I pray with you? And they said, no, we're not really comfortable with prayer. And he said, that's okay. He said, if you don't want me to pray, he said, I'll pray for you when I get home. He said, well, I guess you can go ahead. And the pastor prayed a short prayer, he said. But he said, we fell in love with that pastor. And he said, it wasn't long before we were engaged in Bible studies. And the reason I'm calling you is that three weeks ago, my wife and I were baptized as Seventh-day Adventists. Now, that man pulling weeds with his wife did not know they were involved in health ministry. But they were. God is really good. The first and foremost goal of health evangelism activities should be to lead people to Jesus as the agent of transformation in the human life. People are to be taught that it is the power of God that provides miraculous change in their lives. If they accept it, we praise the Lord. If they don't, we still accept them and minister to them. Let us always remember, Jesus is the agent of change. And if you don't stock him, you can't sell him. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.